YouTube channel. You can make sure to subscribe there to check us out weekly. Uh, check us out at patreon.com slash still potable. If you want to check out our show Monday through Friday, ad free best Celtics podcast analysis you can find out there. But today, myself and Jay King, we have a very special guest joining us for the show, Suichi Tirada of MassLive.com. And we bring him in especially for today because I can guarantee you no one in the Celtics world more Xavier Tillman <laughs> than Mr. Sparty himself, Sweetie Tirada. And damn it, I don't, I don't know. We don't know when we're going to see Tillman. We don't know if it's going to be out of the All-Star mm. break here or if he's going to need a little bit longer to get the, this knee ready to go. But he's probably going to play and he's probably going to make an impact. So we need to get the, mm. the inside scoop from Suichi. But first off, <laughs> Suichi, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Part two, Ed. I, I just, I better never leave that promo at the end. Whenever I see the little preview and I see my little face, I'm like, I better never, now I better never leave that. <laughs> I feel like I've earned it. It's top building. It's, it's, it's <laughs> only, only the big names get that type of building. And All right. right. So, but you're only the second multiple time guest, I believe. Yeah. Oh, wow. Who's the Four, other one? Forsberg's the other Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Forsberg's like been that. on like four times. It's, it's just kind of ridiculous. <laughs> He's basically a third host. Or a fourth host, yeah. He's grandfathered in, um, like you are out of winning plays here, but <laughs> but yeah. So just give obviously Suichi, you know, as written here at MassLive.com for kind of three years now in the, the seas, but before yeah. his days at MassLive, Suichi uh, both went to MSU and covered MSU basketball uh back i believe was it two years of the tillman era switchy like he you were done by the yes. time he was a junior right yes because he was at msu three years and i did his first two years i didn't really cover basketball back then i was more of a football guy uh because it's the big 10 and everything but yeah so i was around yeah i remember he came in the same class as a jaron jackson jr little fun fact for you well there you go that's a yeah. ridiculous front court defensively in college <laughs> Well, Jaron was one and done, so he wasn't yeah. actually around. Um, and then Tillman wasn't di didn't really become a contributor until he was a sophomore. But fun little fact, I believe I'm like ninety percent sure they were like best friends. And when he when Tillman got drafted to Memphis, obviously Jaron was on the team, so it was kind of a reunion. I think Jaron was his best man at his wedding, so that's that's kind of a little little fun detail for you guys. There you go. So we, this is why we brought Sweetie on, right? Tillman. Um. <laughs> But yeah, so where where do you want to again? You you clearly have a lot of nuggets here on him. I guess we'll start <laughs> on the floor here, um, and I'm sure you've been keeping tab, rough tabs on him from afar in Memphis during his career, like you do with <laughs> probably, uh, most of MSU guys. But what uh, 
where from that standpoint do you see him kind of sticking out the most i guess here when he does come into the equation and potentially like the areas where he could potentially be a a boost to the the big man rotation on the bench that you know we don't that we haven't heard about yet yeah i guess with tillman when he came out at, from msu obviously his defense was never Hillman was pretty much just stopping like these very quality Big Ten big men uh, from a defensive standpoint. Like, Luca Garza struggled against them, and if you guys remember Luca Garza in college, like he was Luca Garza was like, a monster, dude. Yeah, right. Um, and now yeah, you kind of still gets buckets. He can't stop. Yeah, no. So in the college game, he was great, right? But Tillman gave him a lot of trouble. Um, and it wasn't just uh Garza. It was got. It was even like Lamar Stevens, who he obviously got traded for of uh, Penn State and everything like that. Like he was having this stretch and uh. Like defensively, I never thought he was gonna be a problem. Uh, but offensively, I was always it was a little bit of a question mark. Like he was like, you know, like he he was fine for like a college big man, but I just didn't know how that would translate to the next level. But when you look at the Celtics, like I don't think that's necessarily going to be something they ask for him, right? Like it's gonna be kind of a, like a Luke Cornet role in the sense of like Luke doesn't really shoot threes anymore. And I remember seeing a few tweets being like, you don't want Tillman shooting threes when he got traded to Celtics, and I'm like, that probably is not going to be a problem. Like. If they ever told me to shoot in consistent threes, I think something probably went wrong um, in the set or the possession or whatever. So I think that's where you feel good about the fit, especially. Um, I think it'll be kind of interesting to see how Tillman is incorporated into the rotation once he's like ready to go and acclimated and everything. I'm not sure how much he'll, he'll be able to do that this season, uh, right? Just because he hasn't played yet, so already passed the all-star break and everything. But for the most part, like I, I like the fit, I think, right? Like his grand grind, Memphis or anything, but like this is a tough dude. And I think... One of the question marks going into the playoffs for me uh, with the previous roster was just like, how is that big man rotation going to look uh, if if Luke Cornette is not necessarily part of it, right? Just because we haven't seen that so much in the playoffs. But I think you look at a guy like Tillman, he's played in a number of playoff games with Memphis. Like he had that big game against the Lakers. I want to say it was like 22 and 13 in game two last year. Like you feel good about him. That's not necessarily being like, he's going to give you something every playoff game, but like he he's played in big games uh during his nba career and uh during his time in michigan state so i think all of those things you feel good about going forward yeah he's kind of playoff like his defense is playoff proven too Mm -hmm. which which is important you're not like bringing in mike muscala and wondering if he's gonna be able (laughs) to like contribute to your defense i think tillman is a Mm -hmm. guy that no matter what he's gonna be able to hold up physically he's gonna be able to switch he's gonna give you another option against the the really great big men in the league of which there are a few, but, but the guys that right now only Al Horford can handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other piece that I want you to touch on a little bit more, he just kind of seems like a great teammate and mm-hmm. and somebody who's all about winning. That That's something that Brad brought up and he kind of said it in the most coach way possible, which mm-hmm. is that he said, I think he plays basketball for the right reasons. <laughs> which is such a such a Brad Stevens coach saying uh but I I do think it kind of encapsulates what Tillman's all about he's not going to be not going to worry about anything except am I making the team better right now and, yeah uh, so w- what did you learn about mm-hmm. him while uh, you said you didn't cover basketball much at that point but while while being around him when he was in college 
Yeah, that's a good point. I think you can kind of see that. Like, he's very soft-spoken. I think during his first media availability, everyone was like, yo, we can't hear him. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of forgot about that, honestly. I haven't heard him speak in a little bit. Um, but yeah, in terms of, like, the teammate part, like, I think the Celtics were very intentional with who they got in terms of, like, right, like, Tillman's going to be a free agent, but maybe it's something, it's one of those things where it's just like, okay, let's see how you play first and et cetera, go from there. But the thing I remember from college about Tillman, and my timeline's going to be messy, like I graduated five years ago now. Um, but like, I remember a big part of like kind of the that's, narrative that's around kind of a, a humble brag there. <laughs> <laughs> how young you are. I'm not trying to do that, but that's okay. Um, what was it good? Uh, oh, yeah. So he, uh, a big part of his narrative was like, I believe he had a kid when he was like still a teenager. So kind of like Jason in the sense of like, um, you know, like a young father and everything, uh, not to compare the two or anything, but he always, Xavier always kind of gave me this like old man, like mature vibe. I'm not sure if you guys have picked it up. I didn't know he had three kids. I think that's what he said at his first media deal with us. Um, but he got like married pretty young and everything like that. So it just, it just seems like he, he's like a couple years younger than me, but it always felt like he had his life more put together. I mean, I'm sure it helps playing division one basketball and playing in the NBA, et cetera. But like, you could kind of tell, and I think in a locker room, like you need like a mature voice like that. Um, and like, you know, I remember, I specifically remember the day of the trade, I, I saw some graphic Michigan State versus Duke in the 2019 Elite Eight. And I was like, man, it's been a long time since we've had, since we've had you know, Michigan State has had like a good big man since Xavier Tillman. Then he got traded to the Celtics later that day. And I was like, damn, Brad is uh, kind of toying with my heart right now. But that, that's the reason I bring that up is just like, it's, it's, I think he's going to fit in the locker room well. Like, um, he, he, that was never an issue at MSU. But I think like that maturity never hurts, I think, especially when you're speaking about like, a locker room that is a very volatile thing right like you know like we, we've seen you know like with the nuggets on like bones highland like everyone's like why is bones highland being like kind of like making headlines or like drama and then they traded them away and everything so like it's it's a very volatile thing and I think he's been really good very... with the clippers though as it <laughs> <laughs> yeah right so um away since they banished him from their entire team prior to <laughs> all-star break which is a wild move but yeah and i think for the celtics too you talk about the locker room being a delicate because right Celtics have a good thing going, and I don't think Xavier Thomas necessarily gonna mess that up. Yeah, and 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 in their locker room, like it's been a totally no nonsense locker room. If mm -hmm. they brought in, like I know people were very high on Lonnie Walker, and a lot of Celtics fans were in my mentions about Lonnie Walker, and I'm not mm -hmm. saying anything about Lonnie Walker as a person. As I, he's just he wants to go get buckets. He wants to do his own thing. He's not just like a totally selfless basketball player in the same way that Xavier Tillman is. And so I think it was important for Brad Stevens to, to not rock the boat and to bring in somebody who's going to be cool with kind of whatever happens. And, and that maturity, like this is, has been a very mature team. Like this has been the most drama free season I've ever covered by far to the mm. point where it's almost boring. <laughs> <laughs> Like, well, I remember two years ago, like, I think it was after the Chicago game, since I'm in Chicago right now. Um, remember, like, five games in the season, like, Marcus said what he said about Jason and Jalen? Like, that was oh, yeah. two years ago, two seasons ago. And, like, it's it's just it's just crazy to me how different it is. And, like, I remember before I was on the beat, hearing all, like, the Kyrie headlines or, like, the Terry headlines and all that kind of stuff. Like, it, it's it's – I feel like, you know, I mean, Jason literally went on the record, right, earlier this season being, like, you know, that expletive sucked, right? Right around that 20, what was, was that, 2018-19, right? So I think maybe there were a little bit of growing lessons there. You uh, can say but, shit, it's okay. 
<laughs> okay, that's good to know. I was gonna ask that, but yeah, he, he pretty much said this shit sucked, right? And like, I think Jason and Jalen kind of understood that, and they got you know they're gonna get their bags. Like they just want to go and win now, especially since they've been so close to it. Yeah, and those guys have kind of set the tone. Mm-hmm. Like I, and I don't think they were ready for that earlier in their career. Like Tatum used to always bring up individual accolades. He would always say, <laughs> "I want to be in the All Star game. I want to do this, do that." Mm-hmm. And granted, he's reached a point where he's crossed off everything but MVP from that list. He's been two-time first-team All-NBA. There's not much more for him to get. But the difference from him being focused on all that stuff to now him just being like, yeah, it's all about the team. And even the way that he calls out players after games, calls out teammates for praise to praise them after games, that's different from when he was younger. And mm-hmm. I think... He and Jalen both, and Jalen too, we can put him in the the same basket. Like, he's kind of talked about how, you know, it's okay to him when he doesn't get the ball much. And it's okay to him when, you know, the the Celtics are going away from him because he he just wants to play with the – everyone to play with the right intentions. And to me, their their evolution and their maturity to get to the place where they are now is a major reason why – everyone on the Celtics has taken on that identity. There are other guys on the team. Like, I don't think it's ever in Derek White or Drew Holiday's nature to to say anything wrong or do anything wrong. <laughs> but, like, when your top two players are both saying, making it very clear they don't care about that shit, then that stuff matters and that stuff resonates. And it's hard to be, you know, the eighth or ninth guy on that team. Mm-hmm. And and think about yourself when the guys in front of you are making it very clear that that that's not what it's about to them. Yeah, right. The day uh, Derek White rocks the bow is uh, hell's gonna freeze over that. What day. if he just came in and just shitted on everyone? Like, <laughs> Joe fucked that up last night, guys. <laughs> Mister White, Richard White's gonna be like, "Where the what the hell happened, my son?" <laughs> right? <laughs> He'll be taking um, yeah. <laughs> And to just uh, one thing, Jay, to go off your point that I've really been impressed by with Jalen this year is the defensive end of the court and taking oftentimes the best, you know, guarding the best player, like what he, what he did against Luka and Dallas and all those things. Like, I think that's one of those pieces of sacrifice where it's like, yeah, I may not be getting the ball as much. My counting stats are down. I'm taking fewer shots, et cetera, but I'm making an impact on the other end. And I think it seemed like that was very intentional. And I, it seems like, to me, it was very smart just because you lose a guy like Marcus Smart. And sure, you had a Drew Holiday and everything. Like, he was going to be part of the equation. But Jalen kind of being that, you know, one of the top two guys, one of the leaders of the locker room, and be like, I'm going to invest a lot on this team. Like, Joe Mazzula says it all the time. Like, you, when your best players want to play defense, it's just that much easier. And we've seen around the league what happens when the opposite goes, when, you know, your best player is not necessarily locked in on defense, right? And so I think that's a big part of the equation where you can buy into this team and you have this great culture and, it's just, you know, like I said, growing growing pains, I think, for these guys, Jalen and Jason, right? Like, they're in their early 20s. But I think now that, as Jalen says, they're entering their athletic primes, like, you can be hopeful that, obviously, this year is a great contention, but contention window, but it'll stay open as long as these guys keep that same mindset going forward. All right, let's uh, get back more to Tillman here, get back more into the Celtics second half with Jalen and Jason talk. That's what we just got into. Uh, after we hear from our sponsor here, FanDuel. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 
if your bet wins. You can bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and much more. So just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and shoot your shot. FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NBA. MA21 and Prez. 21 plus and present in MA. Hope is here. First online, real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline, ma.org, or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com, or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Back here on... YouTube, we're live with Suichi Tirada. Make sure you check out patreon.com slash Topotable if you want to get uh, the show daily ad-free Monday through Friday with myself, Jay King, and Sam Jam Packard. Uh, we're talking again to Suichi Tirada here of MassLive.com about uh, the Xavier Tillman era, which is yet to begin in uh, with the Celtics here. Suichi's in Chicago awaiting potentially. I guess the injury report will come out at some point today. We'll figure out what his, uh, mm-hmm. his status is. But yeah, as far as off-court stuff, behind-the-scenes stuff. You were talked about a little bit with Tillman in terms of what, you know, like the maturity he already kind of has, already being a, a dad already when he was a kid um, in, in college. Is there anything else from his time in MSU that kind of stuck out to you from a, you know, on-court, off-court standpoint, like, like a leadership in the locker room? Obviously, sounds like a guy mm-hmm. who kind of does, like I said, does what he needs to, does what the team needs him to, won't really rock the boat. But what, if anything else there, kind of sticks out from you from what you uh, saw from him? Yeah, I guess the number one thing is he was not this very heralded recruit coming out of high school. Um, I believe he was like 84 or something. I just looked this up. And yeah, he was 85. You know, he was 106 in the composite 247 sports ranking. Like that's not necessarily someone you expect to go early second round like he did three years later. And so I always thought that was kind of cool. Like he, like I said, my memory is a little fuzzy, but like I remember his rookie year, his, his freshman year, he wasn't necessarily this guy playing a lot. He had Jaron on the team. He had a lot of big men in front of him. So it was mostly a developmental year. But I was really impressed at the end of his sophomore season, which would have been 2019, uh, when MSU made the Final Four. It kind of felt like Tillman unlocked a lot defensively for them. He was sixth man of the year in the Big Ten. Uh, but he basically what happened was a starter in front of him got hurt. He, like, broke his hand or something. And so Tillman was kind of pushed into a starting role, and MSU kind of got rolling. And, like, that's typical Izzo teams and everything. But, like, I thought what he did defensively and what the dirty work especially was like what really impressed me. Like he added more to his offensive game his junior year. He was more of a leader his junior year. But like the fact that he was able to kind of step in right uh, later in his sophomore season and be like a starter on a final four team. Like I, that was that to me impressed me so much just because he played sparingly as a freshman. So I think the devel- devel- developmental piece you feel good about just like this kid who was not a top 100 recruit. Um, local kid from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and, and he was able to kind of do all these things. So, and the only other thing of that is like, like I said, like the dirty work, Tillman will probably do that, right? And I think that's why he fits the Celtics because like at this point, the Celtics don't need somebody who's going to put up points and bunches, right? Brad Stevens has talked about that over and over again. So to have a guy who's willing to, you know, sacrifice, who's willing to just go get that extra board, who's willing to, you know, take a difficult big man matchup and everything. And, as you said, Birab, I think uh, him being a little bit more of like a bruiser in comparison to like Al, I think really works out well. Um, just because like he's not necessarily like a big guy; he's only six seven at listed as six seven. So it's like I didn't realize he was that short. Honestly, I was looking at that when he got trained. I was like, oh, was he really? Uh, I was like, oh, I thought he was like six ten or something. So I think though it adds another element to the Celtics in terms of like 
yeah, you can spell Al maybe a little bit more uh, in the first round or something like that when you're up big, and you can still feel confident with Tillman still in there. So between all those things, like, you know, I, you know, right, like I feel I, <laughs> I rooted for getting this guy in college for the most part. Like I feel good about him coming to the Celtics, and uh, it's kind of cool to be like, oh, hey, there he is again. Like I, I remember covering you in college, and one of the headlines I wrote in college for some reason was like, the battle winning the battle of bulge or something strange so that that thought that was weird <laughs> and funny so let's see of that headline but no you mentioned <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the like you said the developmental part of him here and that's like it's kind of the sneaky part of this deal now it's like obviously this is a deal for the present um as big man insurance or potentially uh a wild card mm. addition there but they have bird rights on him um he's only making 1.9 million dollars a year he's obviously going to get a sizable raise next year but um that's something that could conceivably be within the Celtics budget especially if he shows that he can kind of mesh well with this group there and he's still fairly young there's I don't know how much upside there is left but Mm -hmm. this team moving forward is going to need you know pieces that don't break the bank to fill out the rest of the the bench or even just pieces that you can considerably you know movable salary too Mm -hmm. like for down the line because there's not gonna be many of those on this uh roster either outside of the, the top six so uh, to get a guy, it seems like who can fill check that box and also not be gunning for himself um, in that contract here at the same time. Mm. It's like that's a it's it's hard to check both of those boxes, but it seems like they the Celtics may have done that here. Yeah, and it could be like kind of like a Payton Pritchard situation, right? Where you're kind of able to lock him down for cheap money, and like who knows what Pritchard's future holds. Like you said, Birop, I think he's a great tradable contract that has some value. So maybe Tillman is kind of that along the lines, but like. He's only 25 years old after his rookie deal. Like, I think you're about to get the prime years of his contract, you know, years of his athletic uh, career, and you can get him down for pretty cheap. And I think it is kind of fascinating when you think about it. Like, Tillman probably isn't going to be, like we said, like, he's not going to be like, I need a lot of points. Like, I need to show out like a Lonnie Walker because I think he understands like his value comes in doing the dirty work. And if he just is able to show that on a big stage, you know, like the East Finals or the Finals, hopefully, or the Celtics, like, I think he'll get his payday. And, may- and maybe that's something the Celtics have already loosely talked about in terms of like, hey, as long as like things are good, like we can talk long term and maybe he feels a little bit more security in that regard. And especially with the the Al Horford X factor of like how much longer is he going to play? Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's 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 just something that's going to be, I don't want to say looming over because he hasn't really aged at all and he continues to be <laughs> a, a legitimate player and a a guy who spreads the court, the rare big man who spreads the court and can guard and really guard both at the rim and on the perimeter. But mm-hmm. uh, he's 37 years old. Realistically, he will not play for the Celtics forever, I don't think. <laughs> well, and, CJ, I don't know. And so at, it's it's funny because I remember when they brought in Robert Williams and it was like, this could be the succession plan for, <laughs> for Al Horford. <laughs> Then it's like it's like years and years later, and and Al has come back. I think for a second stint in Boston since then, and Rob is gone, and <laughs> and it's just Al still playing like twenty five minutes a night, twenty minutes a night, whatever it is, and still playing at a super high level. And it's like this dude, they've been looking for succession plans for for half a decade now, more than half a decade. <laughs> Very Tom Brady esque. Yeah. But now the succession plan is for like a backup big, not necessarily mm-hmm. for for a, a high level big. Although Tillman, 
his defense has been super high level this year. Like if you look at the advanced mm. numbers, he's right up near the top in, in a lot of those numbers. I think EPM ranks him as the third best defender mm. behind, I think it's Isaiah Hartenstein and Jonathan Isaac so far. Mm. And uh Hartenstein, I would not expect to see that name. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's had a good, he's magic. had a really good year though. <laughs> he really has. Like, and that's someone I feel like the Celtics may we're looking at him a couple years ago when he was a free agent here, but that's one of those deals that obviously has hit well for the Knicks and now put them in a spot now where they're despite their injuries are um you know right there in the Eastern Conference playoff picture. Yeah, buddy. Although Randall said uh surgery is not ruled out, so Ooh, that's didn't see that one. Yeah. So ho- hopefully he can avoid that. They're having a good year. Um, do we have any closing Tillman thoughts or should we pivot to do the second half of the season here? Not too much other than the fact that Tillman is the, like the last great Michigan state big man. And, uh, I missed that era of Michigan state basketball <laughs> a lot. It's just going to depress uh, you to, to remind you that, that, that era is gone now. Just watching oh, it. Man, you guys don't even understand, man. Right before the, right before COVID hit, Michigan state was hitting its stride March. They're on like a five game winning streak. Like four of them are quad one wins and they were rolling and then COVID hits. And like, that is still like one of the biggest what ifs in recent Michigan state history. So seeing Xavier Tillman, I'm like, damn, what if man, what if that's all, that's my only closing thought. What if the Michigan state Spartans <laughs> could have won a natty in 2020? Who, I would have been a much happier man, but that's okay. What could have been? What could have been? <laughs> You're going to be insufferable wearing all your Spartans gear, (laughs) chatting about him with. Uh, with There's another B member who wears a player at alma mater. I'm just saying. Gary Washburn loves to wear his Cal gear. So I'm just saying, this is a depth stand. I have told Gary this. So let it it be known. Yeah. I I wear my Skidmore gear sometimes, but (laughs) but they don't have any alums on the team. Where did you go, B Rob? Boston College. I knew that. I knew that. The BC guy, yeah. yeah I, I'm trying to think of the last, maybe Sean Williams, probably the last Celtic of in wearing Celtic screen, I think, from BC. But I don't think he, he lasted maybe a month. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. <laughs> They're okay this year. They're not terrible this year. Quentin Post is good. Yeah, I haven't honestly watched any of them, but they're, I know they. They're, they started to turn things in the last the right direction the last year or two. With, yeah, uh, they had like a fun yeah. little run in the ACC tournament, I remember. Yeah. And they so, got Bill O'Brien as their football player. Yeah, yeah, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Look it Look up out the Eagles. Um, MSU actually plays BC in football this fall. So, B-Rob uh, and I will have some beef that week. Get ready. Is it, in B- <laughs> is it at BC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. Ooh. I've already told all my friends to come. I was like, you guys got to come. Sweetie has friends everywhere. Sweetie truly uh, has friends all across the globe. It's it's like actually to, one of the uh, more impressive things I've ever seen. He just the man has a lot of friends. Uh, uh, people say I'm a friendly guy. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> all right, you're out there in Chicago right now, Suichi. Uh <laughs> Two game road trip out of the gate here. And I, this is actually a sneaky, nice stretch out of the break here for the Celtics as far as like entertaining games go. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got. You know, the Bulls have been playing better lately. The Knicks will be shorthanded, but they're good there. And then a lot of fun. I mean, I think we got like the Warriors. I think the Mavs. Philly, Philly, Dallas, 
and then a, a nice big Denver. Game, you know, yeah, like that's like a kind of a bang six game stretch. Yeah, so it's really like coming out of the gate here. The Celtics have a nice little cushion, we know, um, but they they will be tested here out of the gate. What what are you looking for here outside of just scouting Tillman um, closely? <laughs> um, out of the- <laughs> Watch this. No, not serious. It's like, what's oh, what do you expect? Jaden Springer, <laughs> <laughs> whatever he plays, it's gonna have to be in the blowout probably initially. But um, yeah, in terms of the second half, I, I one, I'm curious to see how quickly they lock up the number one seed. Um, it could be with like two weeks up in the season, honestly. Like they're kind of lapping the field right now, right? What is it? A six, six and a half game lead, I think. Uh, so that's that's kind of what I'm looking for. I guess I'm at this point in the season, like I am kind of looking for them to maybe lock in a little bit more with the playoffs so close. Like I think like they did a pretty good job going into the All Star break and a six game winning streak, and you felt good about it. I think people like saw a few more losses and they were like, "What's going on here?" And I'm just like, "That's just this isn't like the you know 15, 16 Warriors like 73 and nine. Like teams go through this. Like you're just going to lose games, right? Like." Um, you know, the Denver game, I was like, eh, that's a clutch game. And, you know, the process was okay, as Joe Mazzula says. So I think that's, yeah, I, I think I want to see a little bit more tinkering going into the playoffs. And and to their credit, I think the last time I came on this, like, you could kind of see Joe Mazzula tinkering a little bit more with, like, the 2-1-2 zone and, like, these defensive schemes and, like, maybe a little bit more pressure, et cetera. Like, I would like to see a little bit of that more for the Celtics just because, like, I still think these are valuable reps. Um, one thing I do... I'm curious about, I guess, is to see if Missoula tinkers a little bit more with the rotation, just to see like how certain pieces fit. But for the most part, like I think you're, if you're a Celtics fan, obviously one, you feel great. Um, I just don't have too much to criticize at this point, just because like the play has been so good and the vibes have been so good. It's just like very hard to be negative, to be like, yeah, they lost a few games, but like not, you know, like the East especially is so like, it's just kind of like, I don't know what to make of it, especially with like Philly and Embiid. You got the Bucks free falling. Doc Rivers going on this crazy media tour. Um, the Knicks with Randall. I'm not 100 percent sure. Cleveland. It sounds like Donovan Mitchell's going to leave once the contract is up, right? Like, there's just a lot of question marks. It just feels like this is the Celtics' year to at least to like get a relatively easy path, I guess, to the finals. Just because you know when they did make the finals in 2022, like it was a very hard road. But I think locking up that number one seed and actually like guaranteeing yourself like an easier path i think matters just because you can only win so many seven games six game series uh before it bites you and we've seen that over the past couple of years they do need to take care of business in the playoffs <laughs> like they, i mean yeah they have played the longest series of all time they're like, mm-hmm. with the exception of the brooklyn nets series i believe that every other series they've played yeah. the last two years has gone six or seven games most of them mm-hmm. seven like they've just played an obscene amount of playoff games over the last two years. So yeah, take care of business, make sure you, you close out series quicker, make Mm -hmm. sure you don't drop games when you allow James Harden to hit a game winner. (laughs) When Joel Embiid is out, make sure when you're up 10 in the fourth, you close it shit out. (laughs) That's that they got to do that. And I I do to your point about kind of amping it up. To me, it was like they had to survive January and February. They had a ton of games in January. It was just kind of like, let's get through this. Let's escape yeah. this. Let's let's tread water. And they did that really well. I think they led the league in that rating over that time. We were very close to it. Maybe the, the Cavs did. Um, but, like, they didn't play their best basketball for most of that stretch. So, mm-hmm. now lock in. If you could think back to last year, 
they came out of the all-star break and sucked. They were just, mm-hmm. they were really bad. Their starters stopped playing defense for a while. They just kind of let go of some of their habits that they had earlier in the season. It was probably their worst stretch of basketball coming out of the all-star break. So can you be mature enough to handle it differently this time? Can you be mature enough to start, like Sweetie said, taking it up a notch and getting ready for the playoffs? And I think the schedule kind of helps in that regard, right? Um, like I remember before the Denver game, I asked Kristoff, I was like, how do you guys combat with the dog days? He's like, yeah, there's a little bit of that. But like for this game, like this is a lot of fun, right? Like, this is, like these are the games you get up for. So I think having this little stretch, it's going to be tough. And like you're going to be on national TV a lot, which is I think a good thing for some guys, right? Um, but I think that helps you lock in. And like you said, Jay, like, I just don't think it's very sustainable by going six or seven games. Like, it's just like, right, even like the 08 Celtics, they had, you know, I think, what was it, like a six, seven game series in the first round, and then like seven games again, and then six, and then they got, uh, they beat the Lakers. It's just, that's just a lot. And you're putting so much, like, not to say like unnecessary miles, but like, you're putting a lot of just yeah, miles in your body. You can absolutely yeah. say that. You can say, and mental stress, too. <laughs> The mental yeah, stress yeah, of yeah, it yeah. has to be just, just as high as the physical. Mm-hmm. And, like, and, you got guys like Al Horford, like, you don't want him, right, playing an extra 30 minutes in, like, a game six that you maybe didn't need if you beat Trey Young in game five on your home court. Um, and, 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 you know, residual tightness and all that kind of stuff. So I think the Celtics, what I what if I was a fan, like, what I would really want to see is, like, get rid of this narrative about the Celtics playing down to their competition in the playoffs just because – like we've said, that's been an issue. And if you had to criticize something, it would be that. And then you put yourself in situations where you're sure it's game seven at home against Miami, but then one Jason Tatum ankle injury, suddenly you lose, right? You can't give yourself, you can't lose your margin of error because you are afforded that as a number one seed in the East. But the more you kind of dick around, the you know, shit happens. Caleb Martin can go off, like shit happens. You just got to make sure that even if Caleb Martin goes off, you have enough margin of error to get, to get the job done. I love how you were say expletive earlier. Now you're like dick around. <laughs> you know, that, that, that was that was quick learning by you. Thank you. Second time, you know, I'm a vet now. Third by third time, I'll be seeing some unhinged shit. <laughs> to, the uh, to your point on like the playoff city, like this the the positioning slash standings watching is going to be pretty pretty fun in the second half of the season here. For, not <laughs> like for the Celtics, but like yeah. the rest of the East. <laughs> Like everything is on the table as far as who from the plane tournament to who falls mm-hmm. to that four or five slot. It could be like a star studded path to the second and third round for the Celtics, or it could be a bunch. It could be Orlando, they, Indiana and whoever else they could get. They could realistically get like the heat in round one, <laughs> the bucks in round two, <laughs> Like, like that could mix. actually happen. That could be their path. And like, or they could get Embiid back healthy after his knee issue in the first round. Mm-hmm. Like right now, the East is kind of just, just all over the place behind the Celtics. And especially with the, the Embiid injury, like, there's a chance they, they fall a lot. I, yeah. I don't know. I, That's Probably preferable to what's happening in the West, though. I'm like a dog for the one seed, you know. Um, oh, they, they would have, yeah. Like they have, they would, they have like a cushion on the one seed, obviously, in, in over in the West. But like, instead of just like looking over your shoulder constantly, and like, like you said, Jay, like when they play poorly out of the All Star break, like part of that 
brought me to the two seed was um the Bucks just went on this I, I forgot what it was but it was like a 13 game winning streak or something right at the end of last year um and then they pretty much took the one seed and the thing that really struck me after that was like reading about or I, I forgot someone might have said it but they were like the Celtics were a little shocked that they weren't the one seed just because like I remember Joe coached the all-star game like they pretty comfortably had it for most of the season until the Bucks went on a run so this year obviously that probably isn't going to happen unless the Celtics do something poorly and then the Doc Rivers blood Bucks does something crazy and I just don't quite see that in the future who do you see Suichi even amidst this East mess as like the the top foe right now is it still the Bucks in your mind for the Celtics slice when push comes to shove is like have yeah. the Cavs run here kind of done anything for you or are you still kind of Ooh. like waiting and seeing with that I'm not sure. I think it has to be the Bucks, just because, like, the Cavs, like, if you look at their schedule during their crazy run, it wasn't necessarily the hardest, the most difficult. So I'm a little bit skeptical on that. Like, I'm a little bit skeptical about the Knicks. Like, they need to get healthy. But I don't think Fibs can, like, do that, I guess, because of his coaching style. <laughs> like, I just think that's Fibs' ball, you know? Like, they're just going to be a little bit banged up. Um, like, I just don't trust the Sixers. I think it still has to be the Bucks, but that's not, like, a confident. It's the Milwaukee Bucks. It's more of a, you never know, like, Dame could go off for a series, right? Like, Dame could average, like, 32 over a series, and you're kind of like, oh, holy shit, there's, where has this been all season? Like, he's, you know, getting up there in age. So, but yeah, I would say the Bucs followed by probably the Knicks and then the Cavs, but I'm not the Heat. Too... The Heat still have to be mentioned, too. The Heat, Yeah, I guess the so. The Heat will yeah. always have to be mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think I'm um, on board with the Knicks being the, the chief challenger right ooh. now. Okay. I think I am. And obviously, like they, they have to get healthy. They have mm-hmm. to have everybody available. But they're super deep. And mm-hmm. then, yeah. to me, if I were coaching against this Celtics team, I would want to have a really big physical team that could try to wear on them and would mm-hmm. have a lot of options to guard all their post-ups and all their big wings, everything like that. And the Knicks are loaded with guys like that. Mm-hmm. They have Jalen Brunson who can orchestrate everything and then just a whole bunch of muscle around him mm-hmm. and, and veterans around him. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on board with them being the second choice in the East right now with, with the caveat that the bucks could get it together mm-hmm. and then they'd be super dangerous. And the 76ers FM beat is right will also have a say in that. I don't yeah. really believe in the Cavs yet. Yeah, I don't Even really. They've been amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my thing with the Knicks and physicality, I guess this is a Knicks comment, it's more of a Celtics comment. Like, I'm super curious to see what Kristaps looks, like looks like in the playoffs. Like, remember during his opening press conference, I forgot who asked it, but it was basically like, are you sure you're going to perform in the playoffs? And he was like, I'm not sure. And like, I'm not <laughs> sure he is, you know? And like, he was very honest about it. And like, if he's going to be honest about it, you I know? Like, you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't have nearly as much playoff experience, obviously, as the Celtics core. Um, so I'm just, like, super curious about that just because, like, obviously, Christoph Porzingis' post-ups have been pretty much a Celtics, like, hack this season. What is that going to look like in the playoffs when, you know, it's going to just – they're going to try to wear him down. I feel like if I was a playoff opponent, you know, game planning for the Celtics, like, that would probably be at near the top of my list. Like, how much can I wear down Christoph Porzingis over a six- or seven-game series? Um, and, and, you know, if he's already worn, you know, if it's the East finals and Kristaps is already worn down from two very physical playoff series, like 
that that's where I have like, I guess, kind of a question mark or a curiosity point at this point, just because he's been awesome during the regular season, but like obviously the playoffs are a different, different animal and the refing, you know, officials change everything. So that's, you know, I told a few friends and I'm like, how's Kristoff's going to look? We'll see. Like, I, I'm super curious about that. Yeah, it's definitely a situation with him where you, the Celtics should have enough around him where that's, even if he has to ease his way in, in terms of like figuring out what he can and can't do in the playoffs, like they have mm-hmm. things safe going But you're right. Like just given his impacts against teams like that for, for against a team like Miami, for instance, it's like, he is kind of the focal point in terms of what's changed for the Celtics this year against mm-hmm. teams like that and how to combat, you know, Tatum and Brown over the years. It's like, all right, if Porzingis is hitting those threes or, you know, just feasting on post-ups in the, at the free throw line, then you really don't have a defense against this team. But if those, if he starts getting heavisen into those spots or gets struggles more defensively than we've seen during the regular season on the perimeter, um, that's when you're like, okay, this is where things could get at least, a little more dicey from where the Celtics are um, through 55 games here. But I think it's a good point by you, Suichi. Well done, Suichi. <laughs> I appreciate it. Now I know why I'm a repeat guest. This is true. <laughs> you got anything else for him, Jay? I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> we need some games, game. damn it. We need games. I know. I know. Yeah, it's, it's tough to have a daily show. <laughs> without anything to talk about they It'll really is but they're gonna be coming fast and furious here we could um, just yell about doc rivers like everyone else seems right? to be. yeah what's what's your doc rivers take suiji uh pretty much the same as everyone else's like what the hell are you doing is my like question you know what i like i just i just don't understand why it's productive to go on the record and be like i told Kawhi this about shay and i told the bucks ownership this and then that's xyz and then jj reddick is it's just it just doesn't seem like very like productive, I guess. Like, don't you like I would probably lay low, you know? In in some ways, like the Celtic staff not being um available this all-star break was like a good thing for them because then Doc does that with the books and everything. And then I know Celtics fans loved Wick getting the reference the reference call or whatever from the Bucks ownership and everything. So it's just it's been a kind of a like a rough week or two, I feel like, for like the Bucks front office ownership group just because of like everything that's happened. It just seems like he's so intent on shaping the narrative the way that he wants it that he's turned it entirely against him. If he if he had just laid low and not said all this stuff, people would say, "Yeah, that was a it was a tough job. They don't have a lot of defensive personnel. They mm-hmm. they clearly like have some stuff to figure out over there. Yeah, it's going to be tough to lead that team to a championship even though when Giannis is around and he's in his prime, that's going to be the expectation." But instead, he's just come up with excuse after excuse. And J.J. Redick is right. J.J. Redick is 100% right. That dude does not ever seem to hold himself accountable. You can look at the clip of him when he started talking about all his 3-1 blown leads. And he's like, go look at the Magic roster. Just throwing his entire team under the bus from like 2000. Like poor Daryl Armstrong. And ben, oh, I think ben Wallace is on that team. Who else is on that team? Just a random collection of mm-hmm. guys but still it's like look at yourself sometimes i can remember the game seven press conference before game seven against the celtics this past year yeah it was they came out with the report that the sixers had gone like uh they'd 
bad more bad calls had gone against the Sixers in game six. So the first question <laughs> was Doc being like, oh, yeah, it's really disappointing that so many <laughs> bad calls went against us in the last game. Excuse. Later, later on, he's talking about it. And he brings up how their shot quality was better than the Celtics and then said in game six and then said no comments. Like, you fucking lost game six. You mm-hmm. scored like two points over the last four minutes of that game. Joel Embiid, I don't think he really touched it during that stretch. Jason mm-hmm. Tatum, who was bad for the first 44 minutes, totally dominated the end of that stretch. This is re- reality, Doc. Like just, And he was talking about stuff that stuff before game seven, it was almost as if to set himself up. Like if we lose, actually it wasn't my fault. Actually it was a ref's fault in game six. It was shot quality, shot luck. Like just, just take it, take it on the chest doc for once, take it on the chest, stand up. And it's not Austin, happening. Austin River is saying he's the only one held accountable. Be- what? Because he gets fired. That's fine. Someone mm-hmm. else is holding him. Hold yourself accountable. You've thrown mm-hmm. Ben Simmons under the bus. You've thrown your entire Magic team under the bus. You have <laughs> gone out. And and there are people, especially in Boston, who really love Doc Rivers. And I think he was the right coach for that 2008 team. I think lately there have been a lot of excuses. A lot of excuses. But that, that's Perhaps my whole take it I came from the soul. I'll... I'm like impressed. He was ready for that. Just, you were like, "Oh man, he's been he's been stewing on this take." I went, I went back today and listened to his press conference from before Game Seven. <laughs> wow, because I didn't have a transcript wow. of it, and I wanted to remember exactly what he said. And sure enough, like first question was about the the calls from Game Six, and he went on. He was open about. It. He was not like we're focused on Game Seven. That shit doesn't matter anymore. We fucking lost that game. It truly doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. He went on a long talk about it. Then later brought up the shock quality <laughs> on his own. It's like, Doc, Doc, get your team ready. Get your team resilient. Try Don't to save work. his job. It's pretty shameless. Didn't work. Didn't work. <laughs> Didn't Had work. Probably should have won game six, honestly. Yeah. No, definitely should have won game six. They had a better shot um, quality for Doc Rivers. <laughs> <laughs> but this is why we need we need Celtics Bucks to play each other this postseason for the doc for the content yeah like right the doc content in terms of um, yeah i mean you can you can go heat bucks knicks or something crazy and then celtics fans will play uh swimming in the content at least adrian griffin to doc that is a nice content upgrade for us <laughs> huge content upgrade huge all right well that will put a bow on this one we'll be back more with more doc hawk takes tomorrow um and <laughs> maybe some Celtics Bulls recap uh, thanks to Sweet Tirada for joining us here. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Suichi Tirada, S-O-U-I-C-H-I-T-E-R-A-D-A. If you aren't already, you should be one of the best on the beat. Uh, thanks again for CLNS for hosting us here. Thanks to FanDuel for your sponsor for this show. And we'll be back with you guys live after the Celtics return to action against the Bulls on Thursday night. Again, thanks for, for Jake King, for Sam Jam Packard, for... Myself, Brian, Rob, thanks for listening to Still Potable, and we will talk to you guys after Thursday night. Yeah, buddy.